we were just coming out of our, our last series, and it's towards the end of it, on pain and suffering. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, what is, what's the next one that we need to do? And, and honestly, I was sitting at my desk thinking, let's do, let's do kind of a light one, an easier one for me. I mean, that, that pain and suffering was pretty, was pretty weighty. We talked a lot, worked with a lot of people, just kind of coming through that. What is God doing in pain and suffering? So I needed kind of a lighter series. And I'm not joking. I was sitting at my desk looking at the series that we have that we were going to do throughout the, uh, the rest of the year, trying to, like a puzzle piece, trying to put them in, in the right place. And I, I looked at the series that we're going to do called Killing It uh, on Pride. And it just, uh, we're going to talk about how, how we kill pride in our life, how the, the gospel kills pride in our life. And I looked at that, and I'm not joking. I said, this is the one I want to do because I don't struggle with that anymore. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Who does? Who says that to even themselves? <laughs> and I said that to myself, and I thought, that's, that's all we're going to do. So I started, I started um, uh, planning for that. Well, a little while later, it was a Monday, a little while later, Mary Jo comes into the office. Mary Jo works here because I am a people-oriented person, and so is we have found Jordan and Phil, so we have a great time, but we don't get anything really accomplished. So Mary Jo is here. She's task-oriented, and so we get stuff accomplished when she's around. So she's here, and uh, I go back, and she asks. It was easier to tell a story when she wasn't here, man. I don't know. Um, I go back there, and, she, and we're talking about something. She had a question or something, and I'm about to walk back to my office, and she says, oh, by the way, yesterday... Nobody was really in charge in Wellspring Kids. Now, this was a few weeks back whenever Aaron was being introduced. And she said, nobody was really in charge back there. Nobody kind of took control. And I was like, oh, that's, that's, oh. And she goes, you know, kind of the dagger at the end. And I think it was your fault. <laughs> so what do you think? I was like, I want to get back here. And she said, well, you didn't give clear communication to everybody that was involved. And I voted up. I said, no, 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 no. I mean, I may not do a lot of things well, but don't tell me I didn't communicate well. All right? Do not say that I did not communicate clearly. I did. I know it. Don't tell me I didn't communicate well. And, and, you know, just had a little disagreement there. And I I walked off and felt pretty good about myself because I kind of told her what was. And, and you know, (laughs) came back to my office, got back to work because... I don't have to deal with pride. And <laughs> next day, fast forward next day, Aaron sends out a, 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 an email to just a handful of people that were involved on saying, she says, hey, in the top, the, the, the kind of the, the top of it is uh, apologize or apology or miscommunication. I don't remember exactly what it was, but po- apology. She said, hey, I got to tell you, I'm sorry. I was thinking back to this past Sunday, conversations that I had had, um, and I, I just need to apologize for this past Sunday. It didn't seem like anybody was really in charge, and I want to apologize for that. And then she did, she put this like innocuous line in there for everybody except for me and Mary Jo. And this was the innocuous line. I didn't understand what Scott said. <laughs> All right, I got it, Lord. So I'd apologize and, you know, talk about, you know, go back. Lord, maybe, maybe I, I do have a problem with pride. And maybe this series, if for nobody else, these next three weeks when we talk about killing, maybe this series is for me if nobody else. And if you're sitting in your seat this morning and you're going, yep, this is a good one for me because I don't deal with it, that's probably the first sign, and you'll find out this afternoon that this series is for you. 
as we talk about killing pride in our lives. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like my roommate in college, Joe. I'll never forget this. We were sitting on the couch one day and he said, you know, I don't have a lot going for me, but one thing I can say is I probably am the most humble person that I know. <laughs> Not joking. And I said right back to him, are you proud of that? And he you know, laughed. So anyway, if that's you this morning, this series is going to be for you as we look at killing it, pride in our lives. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, this morning, Lord, I thank you that you love me and us enough to reveal sin in our lives. That only happens when you love us. And so I'm thankful for that. Lord, I pray this morning that you would honor yourself as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're going to look at an Old Testament story, Daniel chapter 4. It's an awesome story, cool story, um, and, and it, it illustrates for us pride very, very clearly. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Daniel chapter 4, if you don't, it's going to be on the screen here in just a few minutes. Let me set up what's, where we're at. King Nebuchadnezzar, guy with a funny name, but not much else is funny about him. King Nebuchadnezzar, he is the supreme ruler, monarch, uh, you know, uh, dictator of the entire known world. There is nobody who is his equal here on earth. And he is the, the supreme leader of the, the nation of, or the, the empire of Babylon. And he, one thing that he does that people prior to him did not do, he's a brilliant, brilliant leader. Previous monarchs or previous dictators, they would go into a different nation or, a, or a, another nation, they would conquer the nation, and then they would destroy anybody who could challenge the throne. They would just get rid of anybody who was educated, anybody who was intellectual, anybody who was charismatic, anybody who could challenge the throne. Every previous monarch or ruler would destroy all of those people. Not King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar would go into a nation, would uh, take over a nation, conquer a nation, then take all the best and the brightest, and then bring them back to Babylon, indoctrinate them into the ways of his kingdom, and then they would live or work in his court and would uh, give him counsel as he sought to rule more and more and more nations. As he uh, sought to have his, his footprint cover the entire known world. Brilliant, brilliant leader. 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar sets his sights on the southern nation of Israel. Remember, the nation of Israel is broken up into two. He sets his sights uh, primarily on Jerusalem, but also on the southern nation of Israel. Sends his troops in. They conquer the nation, or the, the southern part, the southern nation of Israel. Of Jerusalem or of, of Israel. They almost take over the city of Jerusalem, but they fail to do that. But they do have a, a lot of influence there. They, they, they just almost destroy the entire nation or the entire city. But they do take over the southern part of Israel. As is his custom, he takes all the best and the brightest and he brings them back to Babylon. We don't know how many guys, women, and men he brought back, but we do know. At least four were brought back. A guy by the name of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They come back to Babylon and they work inside the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. They begin to get more and more and more influence inside of this court. When we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 4, it says this. I, 
King Nebuchadnezzar. So he is the one that's writing this. This is like a journal entry almost. He's the one who's, who's pinning this story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. Now, stop right there. This is really surprising because as I just said, this guy has no equal in all of the world. I mean, he's not going to wake up tomorrow and have the chance to be fired. You may be sitting there going, well, what about another army? What other army? I mean, there is no army that stands up that even slightly compares to the army that he rules over, that he is king over. I mean, he has no equal. There is nobody that's challenging his throne. And yet, the Bible tells us that he has this dream. He has a dream, and it puts him, um, it kind of uh, uh, has, puts a pin in his stomach. He's not at ease. He is upset about this dream. He feels like it has a meaning, but he can't figure it out. And it makes him uneasy. This dream is this. He's sleeping, and he is dreaming about this large tree that's in kind of the center of the world, or the center of the known world. And it's, it's huge. And the Bible tells us that this, this tree goes up to the heavens, and it covers, it gives shade to all the people, all the animals. It, it, is, it is the source of life for everything that's around it. And this tree is humongous. Well, apparently, this, according to the, the story in the Bible, this um, uh, voice comes and says, I want this tree to be cut down as, at the stump. And so that's exactly what happens. This huge tree that gives food, that gives uh, fruit, that gives shade to everything that lives is cut down at the stump and, and falls down. And the voice continues to speak in verse 17. Here's what the voice says after he has, has had this dream. This voice in the dream says this. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. And sets over it the lowliest of men. Now that's quite a statement. To a man who has no equal. I mean, this is the king over everything that this world has to offer. And this voice in the dream says, The Most High is the one who sets men on the throne and gives it to whoever he wants. Well, as you can imagine, this dream shakes Nebuchadnezzar up, and he brings all of his advisors in, and he wants to know, what does this dream mean? Well, none of them can tell Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, what it means. So uh, Daniel finds out, hears about this dream, he's ushered into the king's presence, and the king says, can you tell me what this means? He says, tell me the dream. So King Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel the dream, and Daniel kind of gets flushed, he gets white, he gets nervous, and he goes, and, and, and King Nebuchadnezzar's like, what's going on, what does it mean? And he says, this, in verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with dew of heaven. Seven periods of time shall pass over you. Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it 
to whom he wills. In other words, King Nebuchadnezzar, this is going to be your lot in life until you understand that the Most High God is the king and you are only a king. You rule at the mercy of the Most High God. He sets you up on that throne and he can take you down whenever he wants. Verse 26. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know, and I love this, that heaven rules. So here's what Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar. That tree, I wish that was your enemies, but King Nebuchadnezzar, that's not your enemies, that's you. And you're going to be cut down. This throne that you sit on, you're going to be, it's going to be taken out from you. But it's only going to be taken out for you for a certain amount of time. The, the, the Bible tells us seven periods of time. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. Maybe it was seven days, maybe seven months, seven years. Some people think it's seven seasons, so about a year, almost two years. Uh, you know, uh, 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 spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall. So almost two years. Some people think that. We don't know exactly what it is. But Daniel says, for seven periods of time, you're going to be removed from your throat until you realize that the Most High God is sovereign over your throne, and heaven is the one who rules, not you. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar hears that, and he goes, not worried about that at all. I mean, this... this uh, this dream had me kind of flustered, got me off my game a little bit. But now that I've heard what it is, I've heard it interpreted, I'm not worried at all. I'm not concerned at all. He goes about living his life as if it had never happened. We pick up the story in verse 29. At the end of 12 months, so one year has passed since the dream happened, he, that's Nebuchadnezzar, was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. So here's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He's standing up, in my mind's eye, he's standing up on the balcony of his palace, which is up on a hill, and he's looking over all this beautiful city of Babylon. And I'm sure there's probably a handful of people around him, and he's walking back and forth, and he's looking, and he says, guys, look at this. Look at my city. Look at my uh, empire, look at this mighty, mighty city that I am the one that built. You see this beautiful place? You like to look at it? The only reason you're looking at, at, looking at it is because of me. And in doing so, King Nebuchadnezzar illustrates for us very vividly and very clearly exactly what pride is. Here's pride. It is when you look at life, it is when I look at life, and I say, this life was made by me, and it's for me. It is when I look at life and I say, everything that I have is by me and for me. It's when you look at life and you say, my house, you see my house? I don't touch my house because I, I, I deserve this house. I am owed this house. Why? Because I'm, I'm more intelligent than everybody that I work with. I'm the smartest guy in the building. 
And if you have a question about that, just ask everybody. Everybody else agrees. I'm the smartest guy in the building. So you have a problem with my house? You better not tell me about it because I'm the smartest. I earned this house. I deserve this house. This house is owed to me. See my car out there? See the car that I drive? I'm owed that. I mean, sure, it's nice, but I earned it. I'm, I'm a hard worker. I'm the hardest working guy in my building. Just ask everybody. You, 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 I'm not bragging. I'm not being prideful. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm the hardest working guy in the building. That, that car that I drive, I'm owed that car because I earned it. This life that I have is by me and it's for me. You have a problem with what I'm wearing? Have you seen me? People tell me all the time I'm a good-looking girl. I'm a good-looking lady. You don't have a problem with what I'm wearing? I mean, I, I deserve this. I deserve these clothes. I deserve these shoes. I deserve this purse. This life is by me. And it's for me. And that's exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar said as he looked over his kingdom. He said, this kingdom was built by me. And it's my playground. It's for me. Pride makes us look at life and say, I am owed these good things because I did it myself. I am a self-made man or woman. Here's the definition of pride that I put in my notes. Pride is that which claims to be the author of what is really a gift. Pride says, this life, I made it myself, therefore I deserve the good things that come my way. It's really cosmic plagiarism. If you go to, if you go to church here, if you call Wellspring home, you know that we regularly sing songs that feel right. Great songwriting. In fact, people that, that talk about this, the, you know, that call Wellspring home, that your favorite song is probably one that he wrote. Great songwriter. But what if one day I got up here and I said, and, and we sang a song, a new song that was written, and, and I said, guys, I hope you like that song. I am the one that wrote it. <laughs> and you're like, wow, I didn't know you were so multi-talented, Scott. I didn't realize you had that gift. I, I really enjoyed singing your new song. Thank you for that. And I, and, you know, I patted myself on the back and I just, you know, fake this, fake this humility kind of thing. And, you know, you don't have to say all those things. And I just... I just really built up this fact that I wrote this song. And then Phil comes back and he learns that I got up here and I said that I wrote a song that he had actually written. And he's furious and rightly so. And you find out that I lied about the song that I wrote. And you, rightly so, are furious and don't believe anything else that I claim. Why would you do that? Because the author has the right to the work. And pride is exactly the same thing on a spiritual cosmic level with God. Pride says the life that I have was built by me and it is for me. So nobody better tell me anything different. Humility, on the other hand, says everything that I have is a all my resources, my home, my car, my kids, my wife, my husband, everything. My job, my influence, everything that I have is a gift. The fact that I was born in the United States of America at such a time as this 
It is a gift. The fact that I'm good at computers, I could have been born 10,000 years ago, and my gift would have been uh, for nothing, would have been useless, completely useless. It is a gift. Everything that I have is a gift. Pride says, I'm a self-made person. It is by me and it is for me. And in doing so, you wag your finger to the sovereign king of the universe, the most high God who rules from heaven's throne. You wag your finger at him and say, you had nothing to do with it. And you plagiarize his gifts as a result. The story continues in verse 31. While the words were still on King Nebuchadnezzar's mouth, remember he's looking over his, his nation, his city, while they're still in his mouth, fell from, from heaven, fell from there fell, so easy, I'm just reading, goodness. <laughs> there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The king has departed, the kingdom has departed from you. King Nebuchadnezzar, you thought you were a self-made man. You thought this uh, nation was built by you and for you. But it has departed from you. It has been taken away from you. It is no longer yours. The sovereign king of the universe has taken it away. And there is nothing that you it is departed from you. Verse 32. And you shall be driven from among the men. Your dwelling place shall be the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Seven periods of time shall pass over you. Until the Most High. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like a bird's claw. Pretty, pretty, pretty vivid. Verse 34, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. King Nebuchadnezzar realized that heaven does indeed rule. And he is simply a steward of the kingdom of Babylon for a certain amount of time. It is not his own. His leadership skills, it's a gift. The nation is a gift. His throne, it's a gift but it belongs to the sovereign king of kings. It belongs, excuse me, it belongs to the most high God. Jump down to verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And the entire king's court said, you've got that right. So what? What does this mean for us? I'm glad you asked. Here's what I put in my notes. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's at the pinnacle of power. He is rivaled by nobody. He stands alone. In fact, probably only a handful of people in all of history have ever known the power that King Nebuchadnezzar holds. And it is all taken from him. 
and he is glad that it happened. That is what amazes me the most. He has everything. Not The world is not at his fingertips. He is the world, he thinks. And it is all taken away from him. And he is glad that it happened. And here's why. This is what I put in my notes. He's glad because he realized that his pride was a spiritual cancer to him that was so bad, so dangerous, that it, it, it had poisoned his soul so deeply that even as drastic as the treatment was, it was worth it to get it out of his life and his soul. It was worth it to realize that his life was not self-made. It is a gift. And the Most High is sovereign over that gift. And over all kingdoms, including yours and mine. And he gives it, and he takes it away at his perfect will. So this morning, we're going to build on top of that the next couple weeks. We're going to make a beeline to the cross here in the next couple weeks. But this morning, my only point is this. Pride, when it's in your life, it's like a cancer to your soul. Pride, when it's in your life, thinks that everything that you have is owed to you. You deserve it. But the Bible tells us that the Most High God gives and He takes away according to His perfect will. And everything that you have in your life, everything, is a gift. And humility sees it as such. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank you for the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. I know I am guilty regularly of thinking that I have owed the things that I have. I deserve it. And I don't acknowledge that it actually is yours. And in doing so, I commit cosmic plagiarism against you. Father, I thank you that the cross declares... That even when we fall short, you love us just the same. I think that the cross declares that we can say that it's all yours anyway. And no, none of our value is taken away. I'm thankful that the cross declares that we're forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.